This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I apparently am Dave. And I'm the Machine. I thought you were going to say that I'm pink or something like that. A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film which I believe you have to call Pink Floyd, colon, The Wall. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show since the machine, you know, doesn't help us pay for these movies. Asshole. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Now, before we talk about this week's movie, Dave, we should probably advance the plot. The what? The the, the plot. The, the deep and rich fiction that we have right. created amongst ourselves here. So deep. We, of course, have been stranded in the year 1982. Uh, I'm actually enjoying we it. Back to- it's such a negative connotation. Yeah. It's a simpler time. I mean, I love just breathing all these f- noxious fumes because we didn't care back then. Who cares? Whatever. The economy's going great. Smoke a cigarette, I'll cover it up. Yeah. I can smoke indoors. It's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no masks soon. So it's kind of the same thing. Topical. But as I said, like not enough people are coming to our arcade for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe we shouldn't have called it kyle and dave's wonder emporium that probably is turning some people off i don't know in the 80s that might have actually worked honestly (laughs) you know simpler times well it hasn't it hasn't so far so we've had to uh of course sublease our unit here this Mm -hmm. warehouse that we have we've commandeered so a section of it has been carved out for somebody else have you have you met our new tenant no yes you should meet her oh yeah oh her okay yeah yeah, her name is Dee Dee Hess. Dee she's a doc. She's a dentist. Dentist. Dee Dee Hess. Is this gonna turn into a joke? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for Dee Dee Hess. Dee Dee Hess. Dee Dee S. Yes, that's oh, that is her name. Right. Wasn't that worth it, Dave? <laughs> Wasn't it worth that walk to get there? <laughs> Wit. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad for it. Yeah. Anyways, Dee Dee Hess. I'm sure. I'm sure she'll make an appearance at some point in this podcast. Why? We couldn't go an entire season talking about these people and not have another voice show up if there's like two businesses that should never be in the same room it's probably dentistry and an arcade it's uh, uh pretty gross i don't know pretty we'll gross see. we'll find yeah. out we have a piece of feedback we need to get to dave oh, we no. want to go all the way back to our mon oncle antoine episode okay uh you remember that movie right yeah french canadian uh, the kid and Peeping Toms and Dead People. Correct, yeah. So on oh, our drunks. Patreon. French drunks, yep. On our Patreon, which you, of course, can go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash 
Kyle and Dave versus the machine rolls right off the tongue. But one of our newest patrons, CM-47, did send us a message here just a couple weeks ago. And he mentioned, I guess I don't know if it's he, they mentioned that uh, they had just listened to that episode. So people seemingly are going back in time and listening to old episodes, which is nice. Well, we are, so why can't they? Where they said this, that uh, they wanted to add a comment on the scene of the boy's dream with the bouncing woman. You might remember, Dave, oh, yeah. that we both had a bit of an issue where this like kind yeah, of yeah, ultra-realistic yeah. movie breaks its tone and has this weird visual yeah, flair naked lady. at the very yeah. end of a yeah. naked lady just bouncing around. Yeah. They write, but first, I should say that I have no knowledge of film critique to take my comment, so take my comment with a grain of salt. We don't we have no authority either, <laughs> yeah. so I wouldn't so worry about it. That's why we're on a podcast it. and not mm-hmm. uh, in a university. I think the scene is the boy trying to cope with the situation of carrying his uncle's dead body and seeing his aunt having an affair. Like the uncle drinking alcohol, the boy is suppressing the trauma of reality, with the easiest way to cope for someone of his age is to think of the boobs with the registered trademark symbol after it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Obviously, this does not add or remove your opinions of that movie, but I just wanted to add that comment. I thought that was an insightful way. And I mean, I'm sure, yes, that the young boy has to try and survive these deeply traumatic things that he just saw in succession with each other. How should I cope with the trauma of having to listen to this podcast every week? Uh, It's it's good. I I think that's a fair interpretation of it. I I still think that could it, or, you know, rhetorically, could it have been set up in a different way? It's so jarring. I think that's a fair sort of analysis of uh, why that might be in there. It's okay. I don't mind bouncing boobs. It's just why is it in that <laughs> moment in that film? <laughs> but yeah, coping. I didn't think about that. That's, uh, that's a good thought. I can't wait for us to make our own film, Dave, called Bouncing Boobs. So that I'm pretty look yeah. for that in a few years. I'm sure we can Google that. I'm sure that exists in their sequels. Sure. Yep. Let's see this hard pivot here then, Dave. Because of the film we're talking about here today, Pink Floyd colon the wall, I, I do think we should go through our feelings with some other art forms here first. I think first and foremost, the obvious one is this. What is your history with Pink Floyd, the band? Oh, uh, yeah. If you listen to music anywhere between the 60s and the 90s, you've come across Pink Floyd. Uh, They are largely associated, ubiquitous even, uh, with sort of psychedelic rock. Sure. Almost, and maybe rock opera almost, but mostly just eating something that will make you uh, hallucinate and lying down and listening to just really atmospheric, uh, angsty stuff. I think it's so fascinating, like, even outside of their music, just specifically the album artwork for Dark Side of the Moon. Yes, the prison. Is so ubiquitous mm-hmm. that that, I think, I'm pretty sure, is like my first album know, reference cover. point to them yeah. before I even heard their music. It's like, yeah, I yeah. knew that album cover. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a great design. You know, there's just something yeah. simple and so powerful about a prism. Even when you're a kid and you get to see your first prism, you're like, whoa, yeah. there's colors and light, man. And then you eat some mushrooms and, and you just blank <laughs> out for a few hours. Well, you know, when I, I there was a moment in my life in, in, uh, 
in my previous life where I spent money on a hi-fi system. I bought like a stereo mm. receiver and bought these giant floor standing things and researched this just, shit. I think you might just very briefly explain what hi-fi is for some people <laughs> that are listening. <laughs> well, hi-fi in that sense, I meant more like I've tried to build a home theater system and I bought yeah. like a, I don't remember the model name, but this Ankyo receiver and researched these Klipsch speakers and started building this whole thing. And the first album I bought uh, was actually Dark Side of the Moon. And I just sat there in the dark, you know, not on a moon. It's just something that's uh, kind of a fascinating experience. One of those uh, old-timey things a lot of kids might not understand, uh, the concept of an album where you just press play and it's designed, essentially, written so that it takes you on a big story. And that kind of is mm -hmm. a lost art form, I think, largely. Yeah, we're, we'll talk a little bit more probably about like rock operas in general here when we get into the discussion of the movie, e even today, like most albums I say that are released, even though albums aren't really listened to anymore, it's singles no. that people listen to primarily. But if you do listen to an album, it is going to be a collection of songs. They might fit together really nicely, but it's really a collection of songs. Whereas there was this kind of, I wouldn't say a movement, but a bunch of bands in the 60s and 70s decide, hey, why don't we try and tell one story through a group of songs? Yeah. And you can... You can, you can still listen to them as singles, but they're, if you do want to and engage with it, it does tell you an overarching story through the entire album. Yeah, there was uh, an, like an attempt to build narratives with a single mm -hmm. album. And I think that's largely a 70s, 60s and 70s thing. I'm tr like, I guess Queen, yeah, even Queen, their stuff is in the 70s that they're doing this operatic idea. And like yeah. in the 80s, they kind of move away from that. I'm trying to think of like 80s and 90s bands. Uh, Meatloaf? <laughs> I guess. Maybe. I, would say the I mean, there are obviously like rock operas even made up until today. Broadway, the last one... Sure. Right. Well, even like, uh, uh, oh God, Janelle Monet I b released one. I, I can't remember what it was called now, but, oh, but she yeah? released an album that was really designed as a, a one piece as a to listen to. Hmm. The last big, big one, though, again, this is going to show my, my the lack of knowledge I have of music, but the last big one that I can remember is American Idiot from Green Day. Like, that was really designed really? as, like, this is telling uh, a story from start was, to finish. I was not a big Green Day fan, so I, I It don't was then made into a Broadway show, which is not very good, but whatever, that's the music's. Opinion. I mean, yeah, I guess it's culturally important, but uh, I wouldn't be able to sit through 90 minutes of Green Day to tell a story about an angsty teen in a suburb. Sure. <laughs> it's more, this is my biggest disconnect. There's a certain way that Broadway performers are taught how to sing. Mm. And when you ask them to try and sing a pop punk band's Doesn't work. music, it's just like, this is not, this is not what this is supposed to sound like, yeah, yeah. like at all. Anyways. There's some hip hop artists that try it. But... Yeah, there's, there's like what there's, there's a, the, the offshoot is rap operas, which have become a thing too that artists have do we talk about lin-manuel enough or uh <laughs> <laughs> you bring him up as someone who doesn't like him you're the one who brings him up every single no, time it's just trending everybody talks about fucking hamilton so just as soon as you mm -hmm. said rap uh something i'm like i guess that's broadway rap yeah i don't know there's rap songs in that score but it's not a rap musical anyways that's yeah, a conversation for another day mm -hmm. Regardless, yeah. going back to Pink Floyd, I, I definitely engage with some of their music. I would never say I was like a deep Pink Floyd no. fan. I'm the person who thinks Dark Side of the Moon is their best album. Come at me, I guess. A lot of people no, think I'm... their later stuff is better, but that's on them. No. The, the <laughs> biggest wrong, thing, so that's I, took, I took this course, and it sounds like the easiest credit. You just take a lot of courses, yeah. I took a history of rock music course in university. Okay. Which is what really fascinating What university did you me. go to and that they have all these weird uh, 
courses? University of Lethbridge. Okay. Oh, you lived in the windy, windy city. It's actually two courses I took because it was Ooh. basically from the first one went from 1950 to 1979. And the other one was like 1980 up to present day at that time, 2002. So Elvis and the Beatles, basically. Yeah. Basically it was. Yeah. The first half was like, we're going to talk with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones basically for two thirds of this class because yeah, yeah. they are the two biggest ones that you need to talk about. But there's this thing that people have often talked about is that you can play Dark Side of the Moon over top of the Wizard of Oz for oh, the yeah, first yeah, 40 yeah, minutes right. and yeah. it lines up with each other. Yeah, yeah. We did that in that class. Oh, really? How'd that work? <laughs> yeah. Weirdly synchronized. Mm-hmm. I still do not believe that Pink Floyd got together and said, got together and said, we're going to score the first 40 minutes of the Wizard of Oz. But it is bonkers how much certain things line up. If you push it when you're supposed to push play and then you don't play the sound of the movie, like you are supposed to be watching the movie while the music plays over top of it. Mm -hmm. Like Dorothy puts her head next to the Tin Man's chest as the heart starts to beat. There's this moment in the score where Dorothy is looking at different parts of the screen and it actually is mixed. So it goes to that direction and those speakers. Like it is weird. Pretty intentional. It is weird. Yeah. (laughs) It's super weird how much of that. Well, it's the, um, Idiot on the Hill, that song, Idiot on the Hill, plays it when you first see the Scarecrow. Like, it's, it is weird so how it's certain weird. things it's line up. It's clearly intentional. And, yeah. A, I think well, that's the playtime of a record at that time, about 40 minutes. So, you're not going to score yeah. past that. And, uh, B, if you're doing a lot of psychedelics, you're probably watching a lot of Wizard of Oz. Because that's true, a fucking true. weird movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. I still love that movie. But, yeah, no, it's, it's weird. By the way, the song is called Brain Damage, you idiot. The other thing I think we need to talk about a little bit here is, in general, what's your feeling about music videos? Music videos. Uh, Yeah, I mean, music... You are the MTV generation, Dave. Yeah, I suppose so. I think music videos are a huge part of my upbringing. It's what makes, you know, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. It's what makes culture, Mm -hmm. like American culture, American culture, this idea of visibility. It's really, I'm sure there are studies about this. It's why we have social media. It's why TikTok works. It's uh, this idea of... Uh, advertising really through music or uh, selling music through advertising. Well, I think there's yeah that extension of a band's image, iconography. Like it used to be, I, I still don't really know how much like music videos nowadays play into the whole thing. I just don't think to many people watch music videos in the in the same well people don't have TV, way. but you know YouTube. I, I my most recent example of this is I can only appreciate Kendrick Lamar's music when I watch the music videos because Hmm. he tells these impactful, violent stories that look great visually, but I can't actually uh, listen to his music just audio only because it is too impactful and violent and I I can't actually jam to it. It's, It's kind of a fascinating thing. Like there are storytellers and then there's pop music and when they come together, you get thriller or beat it and when they are separate you know you need something different it's how i found tones and i emerson and i were uh on youtube and dance monkey hadn't really broken yet but that video is fucking hilarious it's just when it was building up it still has a role uh much like again social media has a role but i guess you're right because i the similar story i have there is that song from childish gambino called this is america oh yeah 
That's Which great I love that music video, yeah. but I don't really like the song all no. that much. But the video is great. I yeah. think the video is amazing. So it's two different art forms. That's the thing. There's there. It has become its own art form. And you could argue perhaps that music videos aren't music videos that they were understood in the 80s. Now they're really short, short films. Uh, like the ones we remember, the ones that are impactful are kind of films. Yeah, the ones that are super impactful. Yeah. I mean, I, and those are the ones I usually liked more where there seemed to be some sort of storyline yes. that was going through it even when i was watching much music and actually engaging with music videos much more than i ever do now i always kind of felt cheated when it was just the band playing the song yeah, it's that's awful. all the music video was it's like whatever i don't want to see this it's like i want to see something do something with this yeah like what was that famous mr big and it's just a bunch of guys like hanging out singing well, a mean, song you know like I, I don't care but weezer was so big because right. their first hit was them in the happy days uh, kind of mashup and they're pretending like the fonz is in there that is a fucking incredible music yeah, video. I mean, or like uh, do you think uh, who did the song weapon of choice fat boy slim that's a good fat one boy slim. i wonder if fat boy slim would have been as big if their videos weren't it's hard to tell <laughs> so Although, like engaging in people wanted yeah. to share with with people yeah it so that's the thing, like 80s, 90s, you could argue the 70s, they weren't music videos, but visual medium was becoming very important to music. And that's... Yeah, even the Beatles were playing around with it a little bit that's right. in the 60s, but the way we consider music videos were 80s. No, that's like an when 80s MTV thing. started, like that was, that was when they popped off. That's why we have Madonna. I don't know if Madonna is actually mm -hmm. a, that big of a deal if she isn't such a great music video master in the 80s like all yeah. of her kind of like we're talking about every one of her music videos is so controversial and she pushes the envelope so much it's not really the music that we remember her for i mean the songs are timeless now but i don't know yeah. if they're as popular if she doesn't make those really really uh, envelope pushing films really at that time and her music videos like michael jackson's are all short short movies they're yeah. Like, I mean, thrillers, the music video is what, nine minutes long? <laughs> I don't know if people realize, um, but. Actually, thrillers, I think it's like up to 20 minutes if you watch yeah. the full thing. Like, it, 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 is a, it is a short film. There's like, yeah, there's a whole setup. It's beautiful. I always liked uh, Madonna's um, Material Girl because it was just uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> like, that's all she was doing. She was doing a Marilyn Monroe impression right. in that one. I mean, Vogue, like all, a lot of her stuff, when you watch it, it's quite impactful. But, you know, and then it dipped in the 2000s. It got kind of a parody it's self-parodied for a little while and now i think the youtube generation and the tiktok generation like you're talking about we don't produce albums any I, well in my opinion we don't really produce albums anymore we produce singles and uh you know looking for these catchphrases that will you know inspire a group of people to mm -hmm. hit more likes so that's unfair to musicmanship i am sure there's a lot of great artists out there building greater narratives but it's a different world we live in than the 80s plus in the 80s if you want to watch music there's one channel <laughs> you watch what they tell you, to, you watch. Had to wait yeah. or you had to go into the radio and you had to wait for a song That's to right. be played <laughs> you didn't have this much uh you know overabundance of uh, yeah. choice so i'm trying to get my girlfriend to do analog but she's too nervous to do it so do you have then any relationship with this specific film? Oh, I just know it exists. I've never watched it before. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what it's like. I, I do think that films that are developed out of music are tenuous at best. And there's a reason why music videos worked. They were like three minutes long. <laughs> So I don't know how 90 minutes is going to work because uh, I'm, I'm layering this on to build a point. So you've, oh, you've gotten to it maybe a bit too quickly, but <laughs> I agree. Although 
so I don't know. I don't think this is controversial, but I like love capital L love the film Fantasia. I think Fantasia is great, mm. but but it's not trying to tell an entire story over the whole running time. It's, no, it's seven just, short films put together. Yeah, it's just a bunch of guys on drugs having a giggle. That's what it is. Yeah. I know. That's what I love about <laughs> it. It's so great. <laughs> it's five out of five. Perfect film. No notes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just trying to quickly think of an album turned into a film. I mean, I love musicals. I love animated mm -hmm. musicals. I love music in films, but films that are designed around an existing album. The other big one would have been Tommy. Like, that's the only other yeah. one I can think of. Which I actually haven't seen either, but... Uh, oh, Tommy is bonkers from what I can remember of it. And I thought this director did that one too, and I'm completely wrong. So no, yeah. Didn't <laughs> for some reason I thought he had done Tommy too. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well we'll get let's get into that a little bit more then. Let's do a break. We're gonna oh. go and thank some sponsors and then when we return we'll be talking a little bit more about Pink Floyd colon the wall. You ever take acid? Acid? No. Just ate a lot of mushrooms. Oh, is that it? Like psychedelic mushrooms or just mushrooms in general? No, yeah, yeah, no, I still love mushrooms. Right. It's funny because I think I've only had one good trip and the rest of them all broken down into some kind of paranoid, you know, mental breakdown, but I kept eating them. Mm. It's like I have a problem with substances. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I, like, I like that breaking reality, Kyle. It's fascinating. I think if we were talking about Steve Jobs last week, he said that everyone should try acid once. That was his... <laughs> suggestion most people who do acid say that and i will say yeah. you know having done psychedelics i would agree that it's fun to kind of break reality for a moment but those of us who can't stop doing that and we see this with people that routinely use acid or lsd it's not good for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's not good for you you can't tell me what to do man all right well <laughs> Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. You know, this week, Dave, we are being sponsored by Pod Power. Ooh. And with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to is this for real huh which is what i was asking the entire time watching this movie <laughs> i but would have started a podcast is called what is this <laughs> what is happening <laughs> is this for real is a podcast about various facets of black life in edmonton in the first season of the show breaking the blue wall host omar salafu explores anti-black racism and policing and tell stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters in future seasons on Patreon. The, uh, the cops are kind of um, an equal opportunity offender in this movie too, Dave, so we'll talk about that, I'm sure. <laughs> Is that, they that's, love hitting that's people. What you, that's what you want to lead after yeah. introducing a podcast about how the cops don't like black people. Well played, Kyle. That's going to work out well in the edit. It's actually all people that they hate, so I don't think no, we should be focusing on one. they don't seem to hate the one. block hitting truckers and politicians in Alberta. That so. is very true. <laughs> how dare you bring real life into this podcast, Dave? Yeah, it is the 80s, <laughs> right? So I'll stop with that. You know, yeah, we're still... We're, 
we, we're still hiding their racism. So, so. <laughs> so we've talked about uh, pod power, white power, and now let's talk about park power. Now let's not do that. So I'm going to talk about park power. <laughs> no, <Kyle>. keep going. <laughs> Uh, Park Power, a friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. They offer internet, electricity, natural gas. They've got low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. You know, Kyle, um, people mm. are pretty upset lately in Alberta because their power prices keep going up. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. In Ontario, you don't. You have to just go with... Uh, Thing. Unless mm -hmm. they have a reseller, but it's all about the government powers. Here, Park Power, they've got low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. All right, so we've just spent some time, these 90 minutes together here on the couch, Dave, watching this. Melting our minds. Melting our minds. And of course, in this fiction, it has not been eight days since I watched this film. So I totally remember it really, really well. <laughs> and we haven't watched many films in between. Yeah, no, it's fresh. Correct. It's fresh. So fresh in my mind. <laughs> so Dave, Maybe for the people out there who are curious, mm -hmm. is there a way that you could give like just the quick plot synopsis of what is going on in this movie? Plot synopsis. There's no plot. I would say, well, there if you want to describe is, sure. what this movie's about, it's about a privileged white rock star trying to prove to everybody it's not his fault that he's an asshole and he's gone insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, sure. But he's also creating a... a a mental wall. He's trying to protect himself by building yeah. an imaginary wall in his mind. No, it's not really a wall. He, gets, uh, he hates women. Totally blottoed on drugs. Yeah. He hates women. He's got daddy issues. And uh, he becomes a Nazi. So, Well, he becomes an imagined Nazi, Dave. Sure. That is all in his head. Yeah. It's not like they were giving salutes uh, throughout the film. And he didn't shave his head uh, to give mm -hmm. impassioned speeches to people. But it's supposed to be satirical. Right, Kyle? I actually do think it is, but well, I guess we'll get into that argument here <laughs> momentarily. Yeah. What were your feelings on Pink Floyd Cole in the Wall? Yeah, I had a hard time. I had a hard time enjoying it. I think that it is to me, it's overlong, just tastes too much like an art school project. I think you can tell kind of like I'm starting to at least be a little cynical when a director and a writer are the same person. It's not that it's always bad, mm. but there's a problem with ego and kind of a lack of editing. And uh, even though here it's written by Roger Waters and directed by um, Alan Parker, um, there's just something about having a musician build a film about his own work that really shows in this where there's just not a lot of stop gaps there's not a lot of questioning whether this is what is a good message or a bad message and hmm. you know i just felt like there are moments where i can understand artistry but these themes of like hating women blaming women blaming the establishment blaming fascism and war it just gets too muddled for me and i I didn't find myself getting a constructive or a positive message out of it. So by the end of the film, I, I actually kind of just felt gross. And we can get into some more detail, but uh, I really didn't enjoy it. And I 
also feel like because they're stretching this too long, it didn't stitch the music in very well for me. I didn't really feel a connection throughout it. I felt very forced and the lyrics were too literal. So I really, I didn't actually like watching this thing. It's too bad because, you know, I this had is... Dark Side of the Moon on repeat probably yeah. for three weeks sitting in a basement all by myself. <laughs> Eating those mushrooms. Yeah. I feel bad because we're going to be the two outliers. I think about this movie based on ratings and like the estimation of a lot of people Mm -hmm. with this movie. Mm -hmm. I also did not really enjoy it all that much, partly with what you said in that I think the marriage between the visuals and the music doesn't always land for me. Yes. I noticed this too. Alan Parker would go on to be the director of Evita, the musical Evita, Mm -hmm. starring Madonna, who we've Mm -hmm. already talked about. And I think the same thing happens where he is really good at knowing how to start a song in a visual and how to end it. And then everything in between is like the most banal, boring way to present that information. There's moments here where you're like just watching a kid like play with a truck while the rock song is playing. They're like, okay, like, but why, why am I watching what this? Does it mean? Like there's, yeah. Which is why I personally love the animation in this movie. When the two animated bits happen in this movie, yes, very overtly female genitalia within flowers that is going on. Not just in, a female genitalia, that. but violent, very, very and violent, antagonistic towards women. You know, blaming women for for negativity. Sure. Yeah, victimizing men. I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I ever picked up on that necessarily. But the, the, his psychosis and the way that Pink Floyd is leaning into psychedelia anyways, I felt at least the animation picked up on that vibe yes. yeah. and was able to visually show that in an interesting way. I talked about Fantasia at the beginning. They do something very similar where they're able to take songs and recontextualize them through animation. Yes. So for me, it's like those elements really, really worked for me. And kind of like the live action bits tended not to. Maybe it is that the lyrics are so literal in many cases that then to try and marry that with with visuals just didn't work so much for me. I personally, I think, would have enjoyed this more had it actually leaned more into being psychedelic. I really wish it kind of had just gone full psychedelia and really uh, went to 11 with exploring what that would look like. I think ultimately I'm leaving this movie pretty conflicted because there are these certain moments and certain images that are like, oh, that's really interesting. That's bold. There's the very famous one of like the children being led from their classrooms through a factory into a meat grinder. Right. Like that, like that is a, that, that that's a memorable scene that happens in this movie. And then there is so many scenes of just watching Bob Geldof in a chair drooling on himself. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. I know I, I really just don't like there has to be something more to this. This is why I kind of enjoyed the fascism bits because like, oh, at least something's happening on screen here now. He's he's succumbed to his delusions and he's now imagining himself as this fascist dictator yelling at people and uh, forcing them to take orders and stuff like that. I took a lot of notes in those scenes. Very inspiring. And I think that there's something compelling here. You, you hate it when they bring context into this conversation, but there is something compelling here. Having a story about a rock star being written by a rock star, really struggling with the fact like, hey, we've, we've gotten to this level where we have all of these kind of mindless followers and I don't want to be the person in charge of these followers anymore. This, this can go into such a dangerous way. 
and I don't feel comfortable being that leader. So I, I, I think there's something there. There's something to this. They conceived of this as a rock opera to listen to in an album format. And the movie, I think is this really weird thing where when you take that and be very literal with it, it isn't as engaging. Well, whereas just listening to the album works, or if you could visually make that into something a little bit more appealing, that would work more for me too. That's where I'm landing on this. I feel conflicted. There's certain moments I like, and there's other moments that I think are just really, I would say they're welcome. You know, the problem with the visual medium, this is how I used to get upset about books that are adapted into film. You are essentially now assigning one person's interpretation of a, of a book and then kind of like pressing that into a permanent reality. So for example, uh, with Lord of the Rings, when I read that growing up, I mean, I don't have a, a literal concept of what a hobbit is supposed to look like, but it's not Elijah Wood. And it's not that he's not a good <laughs> hobbit. It's just that from now on, a hobbit is now Sean Austin and Elijah Aston. Wood. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, it, it, it just becomes very forming. When you listen to a Pink Floyd album, especially any album, Led Zeppelin, anything from this era where it's meant to be really open source and abstract and experimental, in my opinion, even something literal like, you know, we don't need no whatever, right? It, they're all supposed, mm-hmm. I think, supposed to be very kind of wide open. And, you know, your brain is supposed to, like what makes them beautiful is your brain associates it with your own personal life. When someone makes a film where we see this you know, for me, like a white male rock star looks like a heroin junkie, like you said, lying in a couch, completely uh, disassociated with the world. That's not what I picture when I listen to a Pink Floyd album. You know, I don't picture a guy without a shirt on hating everything. I don't. Even when we talk about uh, the children going to a meat grinder, you know, that can be interpreted and has more power interpreted in all sorts of abstract ways rather than an actual visualization of kids in really shitty latex masks uh, marching and singing the lyrics of their own demise and then getting put into a really shitty, you know, plastic made grinder with really crappy looking sausages coming out. To your point, if all of this had been animated and we could get that extreme sort of, uh, you know, and they picked a great artist for this, just really kind of vile Mm. and, and twisted, you know, I think that works better right? Because you're still left to imagine what this might be in real life. Right. Well, the the abstract continues to be abstract in many right. ways. Like right. animation has the ability to be like, we can bend lines, we can distort lean in things. again into that psychedelia, right. distort things if we want to. I mean, to pick up on that, like I'm, I'm not opposed to things being adapted into a film medium, but you're right in that. Yes. Once it is like, that is what's imprinted on people's heads. Like the main character now looks like Brad Pitt or the main character now That's looks right. like Elijah Wood or whatever it happens to be. But I find this actually happens a lot too with musicals that were designed for the stage and then get adapted for films. I'm going to sure. pick on specifically Dear Evan Hansen. When you on stage sing a song like Waving Through a Window, this is going to sound like I'm a big lover of Dear Evan Hansen that I'm not. But at least in a stage format, you as an audience member, because it's really that stage is basically like a black box with some screens littered around it. You can fill in the blanks. It's right. like, Oh yeah, he's feeling like so segregated. He's like looking in through the window and wanting to be a part of this this group that he is not a part of. When you make a movie of that and you're just having a guy there sitting, staring out a window saying like, I'm trapped here. I'm like, like okay, like I, I guess I you get just it. Just go outside, yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or, or it's like now you're having a sign with two characters just singing back and forth sitting on a couch. It's like, well, this isn't 
interesting like at least in a stage format you can like move around a little bit and like you can again fill in those those things you're taking like this abstract thing on a stage where you can fill in what the stage design and set design can look like now bring it into a a visual medium and be like when you don't have a director that wants to lean into something more fantastical you get something like very like obvious and it's like this doesn't work (laughs) this doesn't work when you make something that's more uh, theor- or yeah, more abstract into something very specific, it actually loses its power. The two scenes where I think uh, the director leaned into this really well is the uh, silhouette scene in the mm. bedroom. That thing's shot yeah, really right. beautiful, but that's animated. And then sort of, I mean, this is now maybe too common in sort of alternative rock music videos, but when he's, it's almost like that Maxwell uh, cassette tape thing where he's like in a couch uh, like in the forest, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that, yeah. that part's okay. I know that's the picture they use on Letterboxd. I was kind of waiting for that scene to come out because I was like, it's not in the first 55 minutes, you know, it's kind of boring. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's some, the magic was lost in this, in my opinion. It didn't play well enough uh, to the power of, I mean, I, don't, I'm the, I won't even say that I'm necessarily a fan of the album, The Wall, but some of these are, you know, real, some of the yeah, most- some of these are great songs. Yeah, some of the most prominent and well-remembered rock songs of that era. They lose a lot of power, uh, in my opinion, in the music videos in here. At, at the risk of being the thing that- uh, reviewers really shouldn't do it's like this is how i would make this film better right like this is this is what i would do if i was director just going back to my fantasia example that i'm going to return to multiple times probably through this episode what i think makes that work is that it is different songs and different uh different animators and even different directors in many cases going through each of those songs i think maybe something like that could have worked in this case where each song was taken over by a different like visual team or something like that or a few different visual teams did like two or three songs and you could like bring that stuff together i think when you have one album trying to be adapted into this visual medium unlike a music video where you can be like very particular and like construct this like narrative start to finish within like you know five minutes at most that can work we talked about michael jackson and madonna and these other people that have been really good at figuring out how to make that work um i would even put in uh, for a more recent example arcade fire had has done some really great work as far as like their music videos that they've released online with this i feel because it is the save for those those couple animated bits with this same visual style going through this entire album i think honestly alan parker ran out of things to say because i don't want to belabor this point but it really is you're just watching this kid walk around some that huge rat that he finds which grossed me the fuck out but it's like i'm just carrying this dead rat and i'm walking down the streets and i'm walking and the music is playing and it's like it's crescendoing and nothing is happening on screen to like support the actual music that's going on i'm just walking and i'm walking and i'm walking at a certain point it's like if you're not going to try and match the music or anything like that then what what are we doing i often ask the same question about your life choices learning a little bit about roger waters and how closely this film is written it's really a therapy session for himself to deal with the trauma of his real life and so this is kind of a movie in many ways that he wrote to himself and i i feel like maybe i just don't have enough in common with uh, one of the largest rock stars of the world, but I just I just don't care. It's kind of like you're bringing up. For a story to work, I don't necessarily have to have lived in the shoes of a character, but this thing's way too far apart from anything that I identify with. So uh, as we're going through, and I don't know if this is the director's fault, but I honestly think it's the script. The script is all over the goddamn place. Like Even the beginning, this idea of trying to 
represent who his father was and how impactful it was that he died when he was a child. It's not put together in a way that we even understand what's going on till the end, but the middle part is so distracted and disjointed, but you can't even put the things together in a meaningful way. You know, it's it's just not... I do think that... Not fun. I, I have a feeling possibly on if we if I were to ever do like a repeat viewing of this, maybe more things would fall into place. I'll I'll cop to that fact. At the same time, I think the one element I do agree with you on is that there is it's a bit too fractured in the stuff it's trying to communicate. Yes, it's ostensibly about this rock star who is feeling isolated um, and is going and taking substances, but we're also going in with like here's my relationship with my father and my mother, and this is my. Uh, my relationship with like the educational system in the UK and I'm scared about becoming a fascist and I'm scared about this thing over here. And I think you could probably walk that line and like make all those things connect. But because this is conceived as like an, uh, um, an audio piece first, now trying to put a visual piece of that and trying to make all those connections, I think you get a little bit lost in the shuffle. I think that probably they could have cut even some more songs out of this than they already did from the original album. And try and streamline this very clearly. Like, okay, impacted by father's death, goes on, becomes this rock star, gets scared and, and retreats into himself. And just make that be the through line that you go through. Yeah, learning about Roger Waters. I mean, he's he's over-concerned with so many things. I mean, I think all artists are. We're very, we are, they're very sensitive. But yeah, this thing's trying to hit too many things in 90 minutes, um, not just thematically, but visually as well. And you said you didn't notice it, but, you know, I it started to really bug me at the end um, <laughs> that every representation of a woman is so negative. Like, so the animation of the vaginal flower is not balanced. It is a predator and it's trying to eat all the penises. Like, They it's, weren't able to include it, but he was abused by Georgia O'Keeffe. So that's probably why she drew a lot of vaginas and flowers. That was my joke. So <laughs> there's like uh, the groupie who has sex with every single layer of security in order to try to have mm -hmm. sex with him and triggers him into this like, uh, you know, rage fit in a hotel. There's just something about it that for me, and this is just where he's at in his life, dealing with not just addiction clearly, but, you know, his fame and his ego. There's a part when human beings go through that where their fingers always pointing out. Like it's always, it's it's the fault of the establishment. It's the fault of the groupies. It's the fault of my managers. It's the fault of these drugs. And there's sure. no finger pointing in towards himself. He, he's trying to play the victim. And I, I hated well, that I about this film. There's nothing in here where he takes any responsibility for anything that happens in it. I agree with the first part of what you said there, where there's all that finger pointing outward of what he does. I do think, I do think that's what the end 20 minutes is trying to do, is he's trying to bring that on the inside. Like, how, how culpable am I in this myself? Whether that works for you or not, that's that's going to be up to the, the single person. But I do agree with the fact that, yeah, like blaming the mother, blaming the groupie, blaming society, uh, blaming, blaming the government. Like there yeah. is a lot of like finger pointing. It actually is somewhat. I was reading this article this week. <laughs> this is going to be a, <laughs> bear with me. This is going to be a weird comparison. But specifically all the Star Wars properties that have come out in like the last 10 years, which is like it seems like what we need to do is give a reason of why, for why characters are the way that they are. Mm -hmm. So now we have to make this uh, film called yeah. Solo and be like, well, here I'm going to point the finger and this is why Han Solo is the way that he is. Or it's like, and this is why Boba Fett is the way that he is. And this is the way the Emperor is the way that they are. It's like, because they had this big trauma in their youth and this is what caused them to be what they are. And it actually 
actually takes away from the character yeah. because yeah. it's like it doesn't matter <laughs> that stuff isn't what's it's important about these characters and i think that's a microcosm of this movie where it's like i can i can sympathize with some of the things he's pointing the finger at but cumulatively what happens then is that yeah it's like well it's everybody else's fault not mine it's this thing that's going on. It's these external things that are causing this to happen to me without any type of like admission that you might have be part of the issue of why that is proliferating. I'm using a lot of big words, but well, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, hopefully that makes sense. When we get into some of the backstory, you know, it, it further kind of proves this problem because he's about to acrimoniously break up with Pink Floyd. Yes. And be an asshole about it <laughs> and try to sue them out of existence. And you can tell that that's where this going from this movie. There's just something petty in it for me. And we're, you know, what is this, uh, 40 years in the future. So it is very unfair for me to not be, you know, 19 and watching this film, you know, and being like, yeah, fuck the, you know, fuck everybody. I feel like the same guy. And I've been sitting in the corner of my apartment, uh, poor, well, I'm not rich, but poor and wondering why the fuck the world isn't, you know, catering to what I need to survive. But as a, you know, mid forties person in 2022, I can't, I can't get into this narrative and, um, I will no, respect I, I, a lot of the, the attempts and some of the filmmaking and Pink Floyd's music, but as a package, right. uh, for me, it was just totally, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work. I, non-functional. I, I, I completely understand why this is a cult classic, though. Like, this is the best movie to take mushrooms and watch on a ch uh, on a couch with a bunch of people. Like, yeah, Maybe. you're going to melt your mind while watching this. Well, you'd have to be by yourself. Yeah, you'd have to be by yourself. Oh. I don't know if this is a joint. It's too, that's the thing, it's too traumatic. You're not going to turn to your friend when you're high and be like, yeah, man, I feel that. You're going to be sucking yourself into your brain and just... Well, one of my best nights is when I took some edibles and you turned into a vagina flower. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> it's just weird, right? I mean, if you're going to do a group watch, it's that uh, Wizard of Oz thing or, uh, you yeah, know, Fantasia yeah. or something where it's just so abstract. And it, But something like this is it's so depressing, man. Uh, I would hate, I would hate to be on hallucinogens and watch a movie about a guy who's trying to kill himself, right? That is not a good high, honestly. It's really, really not. <laughs> That's what I call a Thursday night. Well, let's do some of the backstory here then. So this movie gets released on July 14th, 1982 in the UK. Currently on Letterboxd, it is rated 4.0 out of 5. On IMDb, it is rated 8.0 out of 10. Although on Metacritic, it only has a 47. And over on Rotten Tomatoes, from 27 critics, it's rated 70%, where 50,000 plus users have it rated as 89%. So like we say, we are kind of the outliers in this situation. Like most people who've watched it like it. No, no. Most people who comment on it liked it. And we got to... Mm. This is like politics. We got to be careful how we read these stats. Right. They're not actual stats of the general public. They're stats of no, the people. No, these are of the people who, who have watched it. Like, I, we watch a lot of movies. When was the last time you put a comment on Rotten Tomatoes? I never. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. But you go into my Letterboxd page every single time. Letterboxd is a little different, but that's... You know. It's not streaming anywhere. You can't buy or rent this on iTunes or on We had to take YouTube, psychedelics which just is, to watch it. You know, we don't even yeah. know if we watched the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. Though. I, I don't know. There must be some sort of rights issues with like Pink Floyd or something Probably. where it is unavailable. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray, though. So if you want to get a copy, you can definitely buy it. Its budget was $12 million and it would go on to make $22 million at the worldwide box office, which is about $64 million adjusted for inflation. Just as a reminder, 
Yes, Giorgio was made for $15 million. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just going to bring up, Yes, Giorgio has the same problem as this film in a fundamentally different way, but it tried mm. to make a film based around opera arias and it just didn't work because, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it just doesn't work. You just shouldn't do it. Its plot description is a confined but troubled rock star descends into madness in the midst of his physical and social isolation from everyone. This is, of course, now the part of the show where I don my best jigsaw mask. Gross. And I take Dave on a journey of trying to figure out what the tagline for this film was. So every movie normally has a tagline. Mm. I have three options for you, Dave. Okay. Only one of them is correct. All right. So was the tagline for this movie Pink Floyd colon the wall? Was it tear it down? Was it the memories, the madness, the music, the movie? Or was it... It didn't have a tagline. Ooh, it's one or three. I'm going to go with one. I'm going to go with A. Okay. Yeah. I do think it's So you're C, picking but, tear it yeah. down. Yeah, I'm going to say tear it down. You were wrong, Ooh. Dave. Ooh. You were actually, you wouldn't have even been right if you picked your second option. It was the third option, which is the memories, the madness, the music, the movie is what the tagline for wow. this film That's awful. is. What a terrible tagline. You know what? considering our criticism of course it was because this is such a self-indulgent piece of shit of course they would have a tagline that tried to make it self-important right the memories the madness the music the Jeez. movie it just doesn't even make sense to me it's but anyways awful. it stars bob geldoff as pink christine hargraves as pink's mother james Lawrenson as pink's father and eleanor david as pink's wife Anything you want to say about any of these uh, people? Uh, the only person I really know is Bob Geldof. Yeah, I didn't actually... Because he's even, a music producer. I didn't even uh, consider anybody else in this film. I forgot that they would actually be considered actors, so I didn't do any research. Bob Geldof is, yeah, he's pretty important punk. He, I think he's most known as an asshole, so <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yes. And made a really, really, really bad Christmas song, and I'm going to stand by that. <laughs> Uh, apparently after he was bullied in England, he had all these weird jobs. So he was a slaughterman. He was a road Navy. <laughs> and apparently I had to look this up. A Navy is not uh, an engineer or someone in the Navy. It's a laborer who works, uh, like on a civil engineering project. It's a weird word, right? A, a, Navy. Sorry, a Navy, like N-A-V-Y? N-A-V-V-Y. Oh. oh, okay. A Navy or something like oh, that. Oh, fuck. Okay. No, I've never heard that word before. And then eventually Anyone who's he, listening in Britain is probably like rolling their eyes. It's like, it's actually called Navai or something like that. Like <laughs> Gloucester. It's like 18 extra letters that you don't actually pronounce. <laughs> Not that we're hating on our uh, mother country, father country. Who gives a shit? Uh, he was yeah. a peak. Well, is still on our money, Dave. So. <laughs> Although that's slowly fading. And then he became a music journalist in Vancouver. Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. So he was in uh, Canada and he was even a host for a CBC show. I think it's around when mm -hmm. he met his wife and that's kind of a fucked up story. But um, he built, then he moved back to Ireland. He built this band called the Boomtown Rats and they were kind of the right. proto-punk you know, kind of big hit. But he's most renowned for activism and just being a prick. It's funny because his big controversy was like swearing on live TV, which is now normal. It's so normalized, cares, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's some controversy. So he's knighted because he did a lot of charity work for uh, Africa and worked with Bono mm -hmm. and that's important. If you know Bono, 
You're kind of, you're okay. You're telling me someone who's like super pretentious also gets along with Bono? <laughs> I still like you too, too. And you too is great. Bono, not so much. But. There's some uh, controversies about this charity work and money and, you know, tax evasion. But that's, I don't know. Again, it's become so redundant with celebrities. I, I was mm. reading through this and I was like, I don't, I don't care. It's not that important. His big thing is that his wife at the time uh, would leave him for the lead singer of In Excess and that guy right. Hutchins would kill himself, but got Bob Geldorf was actually on the phone. Geldorf. Geldorf. No, Dorf. Pretty sure. Isn't no, I'm it? pretty sure it's just Geldorf. Is it Elf or Orf? Who cares? He would actually be on the phone with Hutchins. They, that night he killed himself. There might have been, there's an illusion that it was a child custody problem. So uh, his wife left him for Hutchins. Hutchins and her, the year that after they uh, separated, they had a kid together, and the year after is the year Hutchins killed himself. He hung himself in a hotel room. That night, he was having a fight on the phone with Geldof about their children. And so, like, apparently, like, the police tried to subpoena their phone records and shit, and nobody was cooperating. So, I was like, why is there no more about this story? Like, two years later, his this woman, Yates, uh, ended up with a heroin overdose. So, I think maybe there was custody problems because she was an addict because, you know, the inaccessible yeah, yeah, was an yeah. addict. But they don't really get into the details, but it's kind of, that's kind of fucked up. I didn't realize they're all up, yeah. Yeah, put together in that. Sadly, his second daughter with Yates would also die of heroin, like in 2014. Oof. So, that's depressing. Super, super fun. Yeah, death. Pink Floyd, I, I did a write-up, I shouldn't have, but Pink Floyd's Pink Floyd, and they uh, yeah. do a lot of cool stuff. But they're, they broke up in a really shitty way, which brings us to Roger Waters, and he's a founding member. So yeah. without getting too much into Pink Floyd, when they broke up... Because <laughs> uh, okay, just to put the timeline together, because I'll go a little bit into sure. their 70s, but this is 1982, 1985 was when they officially break up, even though some members had left the band even before then. But That's right. 1985 is their official breakup. So after the first lead singer leaves, Roger Waters yep. becomes sort of the front runner of this band and he's largely responsible for writing the lyrics for Dark Side of the Moon and The mm -hmm. Wall. And so he he's yes. kind of synonymous with the Pink Floyd we know today. And so when they broke up over the classic creative differences, it sounds like he was just kind of a controlling asshole. Right. He uh, tried to put in court orders that they weren't allowed to be Pink Floyd anymore. They didn't weren't allowed to do concerts. He tried to put injunctions for tours. And for 20 years, basically, he uh, tried to co-opt Pink Floyd. He did win one court battle where he owned the uh, album rights for The Wall and he owned some kind of, uh, you know, like little legal wins for himself, mm -hmm. which is why later he could put on the concert after the Berlin Wall fell based on this album. Um, and Pink Floyd was not invited to that, uh, mm -hmm. to that concert because he's a prick. In the end, I think he's still alive. I think he's repented and there's an anecdote. I think in 2013 or 15, he publicly apologized for being such an asshole yeah, about well, it. They, they reformed very briefly, I remember, yeah. in the early 2000s and then two of the members died again. Yeah, that's right. The late 2000s. And then his controversy is because uh, he's also kind of a loudmouth. Um, in 2006, he was invited to Palestine to see all of the troubles in the Gaza Strip. Oh, I'm sure this went really well. And he's he started off becoming a pro-Palestine supporter, but apparently he's taken that <laughs> to quite an extreme and uh, right. is now labeled an anti-Semite and uh, doing all kinds of very provocative things to block other rock musicians from performing in Israel. And so he's taken his uh, ire uh, and his process of being a dick to his band members to the music industry and to Israel. So good.
they should get a film camera and get Roger Waters and Van Morrison in the same room and just have like an <laughs> asshole off. And, just and see, Gildorf, yeah. See what I happens. I think they'd all be friends. They would try to kill each other. The cinematography in this movie is by Peter Bizu. His top three films you would probably know from him are Mississippi Burning, The Truman Show, and Time Bandits. So he knows how to make a camera look, make things look good, which I would agree with this film too. Written by Roger Waters based on the album The Wall, also mostly written by Roger Waters. You'll actually see even in the credits to this movie where it's like everything written by Roger Waters except these two songs which have a co-writing credit with uh, some other people. Uh, Directed by Alan Parker. So the band Pink Floyd formed in 1964. Originally lead guitarist and vocalist is a guy named Sid Barrett but he leave the band by the late 60s because of deteriorating mental health issues and this is when Roger Waters would step up and become the driving creative force in the band. And the 70s then are then their huge fruitful period because they released the albums Dark Side of the Moon which is you know also seen on basically every male college freshman's dorm room wall and uh, I wish you were here at <laughs> Wish You Were Here, Animals and the Wall, which was released in 1979. So after that album, tensions were growing in the band and some of the members leave. And by 1985, they'd be completely done. But during the heyday in the 70s, they were pushing psychedelic music forwards and were also considered one of the great progressive rock bands or prog rock is like what the fancy kids say. I think it's just another way of saying that the lyrics were deemed smarter than regular rock lyrics, but that's... <laughs> A conversation for another day. The album The Wall was designed as this rock opera. Uh, and this is the beca- this was becoming somewhat of an in-vogue thing to do. There, of course, had been experimentation with that concept where the songs of the album would tell this one continuous story even as early as 1964. But groups like The Beatles with Sgt. Peppers, The Rolling Stones with their uh, Satanic Majesty's Request albums... We're both kind of going around this idea. I personally would say it was The Who that really was the the band that really pushed it forward with Tommy and then Quadrophenia, which were designed yet. These are rock operas. They are telling one continuous story through each successive song. The Wall really was Roger Waters wrestling with the fame of Pink Floyd and using his experience as well as Sid Barrett's mental health issues as this inspiration for his songwriting. This is from a Wikipedia description. The Wall focuses on the character Pink, whose father was killed during World War II, which is where Pink starts to build a metaphorical wall around himself. And the album includes several references to former band members Sid Barrett, including Nobody Home, which hints at his condition during Pink Floyd's abortive U.S. tour of 1967, with lyrics such as Wild Staring Eyes, The Obligatory Hendrix Perm, and Elastic Bands Keeping My Shoes On. And Comfortably Numb was inspired by Waters' injection with mul- with muscle relaxants to combat the effects of hepatitis during the In the Flesh tour while he was in Philadelphia. So those are some of the nice. things that are going on. Do you want to experiment with muscle relaxants after this, Dave? <laughs> we might need it. I was doing a lot of clenching. I, let me I just, just add, shit myself. I had one thing uh, with Roger Waters. Yeah. So his parents were uh, communists in England, and his dad was actually a conscionable uh, objector during World War II, but after the Blitz, right. joined the army and died five months later when he was only like six, five months or six months, so he was born mm-hmm. during the time. So, uh, you know, just adding that in there because that's a strong apparent theme in this film and this right. album. So it did happen to him. Oh, no. We didn't pay the rights to uh, Roger Waters, so I think he's saying the cops here after us. <laughs> <laughs> now, the album The Wall also includes like survival of World War II and the Blitz, having an overprotective mother, becoming addicted to drugs. Pink, of course, builds this metaphorical wall to shield himself from the pain. 
And he then dreams of or hallucinates about becoming a fascist dictator and then waking himself up to tear down the wall. Musically within this album, the last melody that is played in the last song, if you loop the album, leads her directly into how the album starts. So it actually if you, it would basically just be this huge loop, becomes a cyclical story. So it's very metaphorical that way, where it's just it's a story that keeps telling itself over and over and over again. It's a good description of this podcast. So album is released. It does really well. The film apparently was conceived while he was writing the album too. So it was always kind of thought of as a movie. The idea was that Roger Waters was going to star in this film himself. But after a screen test, the producer said, no. (laughs) So uh, they get Bob Geldof, of course. But uh, Alan Parker, who was a Pink Floyd fan, basically jumped at the chance. Like he really wanted to direct this movie because he was such a big fan of Pink Floyd. He brings a... He brings aboard this gentleman named Gerald Scarf or Scarfy, who is brought on to direct the animated segments. And uh, Parker himself, Alan Parker, would have been coming right off the movie Fame. So he had this experience of doing musicals and, of course, would go on to direct some other big name stuff. Yeah. What happened next, though, is that Waters, Parker and Scarf didn't agree on anything. And as such, each of them hated the process of making this movie. And by the sounds of it, none of them are happy with the final product, (laughs) just uh, based on what they have said. So it does okay at the box office. It does get a wide release in the United States. It peaked at the number three position, but since then has become a bit of a cult classic. So that is essentially the quick backstory of this movie. I mean, just uh, quickly on Alan Parker, I mean, the guy's knighted. He's considered one of the greatest mm-hmm. British film directors. Just so that we know how big of a missed opportunity this film is, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's not just fame. What were some of his other movies? Like Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express, Mississippi Burning, The Commitments, Angela's Ashes. And he's known for, like, every movie tries to break a genre. So he's a pretty fascinating guy. I feel like... There was so much more that could have been done with this thing. You know, even you bringing up this idea that this album could be played in a loop. I mean, how, not simple, but how direct is that to kind of build into a film? You know, to Mm. kind of start a film and end a film with a very simple and very powerful image that we know that it's supposed to be a loop and uh, it just never does that. No, you bring that up. There's been a lot of writing and, and uh, discussion around this on how a bunch of very young people on TikTok specifically are showing like could become who who really knows could become some of the next great filmmakers because they are really playing around with the format and specifically because TikTok automatically loops itself. They are actually playing around. You can watch some of their work where it does. It is a perfect loop that they do where it's like halfway through the last scene and halfway through the first scene they match up and it can looks like it never actually breaks break stride so people nowadays can are are playing around with that mentality with something that does that automatically but yeah how cool would this movie have been had it been like oh yeah no it literally you could put this on a loop and it would work i think the idea because you know politics is a loop too where you have you know like where does socialism end it ends with fascism it's it's a weird thing like they're supposed to be diametrically opposed but everything kind of folds back on itself so these these ideas of like closed loops we're there to play with. We're intended allegedly in the music and we're just not executed in this film. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. the missed opportunities. I think that's why it feels so literal. I don't think the film is actually too literal. It just feels that way because there's there's a disconnect between, yeah. you know, that metaphor and that uh, illusion and that thinking, the philosophy behind it. 
and then the actual end product. I don't even think we should get any hate for comments like that. I mean, if you watch this film, even if you're a fan of it, what part of it actually reflects that intent? I, I don't see it. The one thing I was going to say, just some things I actually really liked about this movie. I just want to end with some of this stuff. There is, I think that's in the animation where it's the Union Jack, which becomes the cross. Yes, yeah. I was like, oh, that's a really cool way to like talk about again, like church, country, mm-hmm. how they kind of form in each other. The comfortably numb sequence I was a big fan of. The the judge being literally an asshole with balls for a chin. Again, this is all the animation stuff that I actually really enjoyed. Even that, I mean, I don't know. And, and this is, and that part, I think all the animation is important because that leaves enough for people to debate about its intent. So, you know, mm-hmm. I see it as violent and obscured, you know, over, over stylized, but I'm totally willing to have a full on debate with somebody who, who reads it the opposite way because, you know, it is abstract and we can have a discussion about it. There's a lot of stuff like, the hammers, you know, I know the hammer and sickle is a very Soviet Union mm-hmm. sort of representation of communism, but having these hammers, having white supremacists doing Nazi salutes and shit, like it just gets over. Like the only time a black character comes in, they're like raping a woman in a cab. Like the, it just gets so over the top that I just can't, I couldn't like it. I guess the only pushback I'll have, I don't think it's beyond criticism. I just find that all of those fascist bits that are in this film are 1A, of course, his like subconscious or him hallucinating or whatever. And he's scared by it. Like he's scared by the fact that those thoughts were even something that he has. Uh, he, he appeared scared him. to you? I, that's the thing. I think so. I, I, yeah. I read it the other way. It looked like he was glorifying himself in that role for me. I think even in his madness, he's not really suffering for it. He's living through it. I, maybe this, yeah. Maybe this is why I really didn't connect with it. It to me, it appeared like he empowered himself. The people empowered him because it's their fault always. And then he ended up in an asylum. You know, it's just yeah. I, I didn't feel any kind of tone of uh, remorse or fear in that. I, I actually read it a completely different way. So yeah, maybe that's a reflection on me. Yeah, I think you're wrong. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has said that we should probably wrap this up here. Then so. Let's go do Critics' Choice here first. Roger Ebert, loved this movie, rated four out of four stars. This is him writing about it uh, many years later, like 30-something years later. And he writes, The best audience for this film would be one familiar with filmmaking techniques, alert to directorial styles, and familiar with Roger Waters and Pink Floyd. I can't imagine a rock fan enjoying it very much on first viewing, although I know it has developed a cult following. It's disquieting and depressing and very good. No one much enjoyed making it. I remember Alan Parker being somewhat quizzical at the time. I learned from Wikipedia that he fought with Waters and Scarf and considered the film one of the most miserable experiences of my creative life. Waters' own verdict, I found it was so unremitting in its onslaught upon the senses that it didn't give me, anyway, as an audience, a chance to get involved with it. It's so funny. He thought it was great, and all he reads is how it's the worst fucking thing that I was ever created. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, yeah. weird. The, the other person I'm going to get, because um, Pauline Kael did not watch this movie. <laughs> She's getting picky in her older age, yeah. She's like, I don't know. I guess so. Like, I, I'm picking up a fairly recent one from, I think it was 2018. This is Yardena Arar from the Associated Press, who wrote, It's a pretty grim portrait, but even worse, it is often repetitive and boring. There are probably enough powerful segments for half a dozen or so outstanding rock videos, but not a full-length feature, which is basically what we've been saying this yeah. entire episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding my head the whole way. I think that's mm-hmm. exactly what this is. 
Well, I guess we have to ask the question here then, Dave, that we ask every week. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? I think no and no. I mean, if one wanted to argue how it's culturally relevant because all celebrities have this problem, I, I guess. But uh, I didn't enjoy watching it. I don't think a modern audience would give a shit. I actually feel like Pink Floyd's influence in music is waning because we're too far away from the psychedelic era. Sure. So um, I just, I don't see this thing lasting other than cult apologists on Letterboxd. Well, I was going to say, uh, well, I'm, first off, I agree. I'm, I'm at no and no this week as well. I was going to say, really the only cultural relevant thing I think from this movie is the music, but that's, you know, a separate thing. I should, I, I don't think we actually pointed it out. The music for this was re-recorded. This is not just the album being played over top of the film. They actually re-recorded most of these songs again. Um, and change some of the uh, orchestration and, and shorten some of the songs, cut other songs. So this is an entirely different kind of piece to to the movie itself. But I, I, yeah, I think probably the, the album The Wall has more cultural influence than sure. what this movie does. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I still like... Just listen to Comfortably Numb. Comfortably Numb is a great song. Yeah, I still like Pink Floyd's music. Uh, I just never mm-hmm. want to admit that I watched this thing. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but yeah, it's yeah, not I relevant. Didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't outright hate it, but... Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's a big miss for me. I mean, this uh, one, two BAFTAs for sound. And there is two separate documentaries ever made on the making of this movie, oh. which are included on the DVD release. So you can watch the two different documentaries that were made about this movie. But, well, we do need to rate this film, Dave. But before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release two videos each week on our YouTube channel that matches the movie we're talking about that week. So on Mondays, we react to the trailer, and then on Fridays, it's a mini-review of the film. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast, and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes to this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what would you rate this movie? I'm torn. My instinct is to start at a 2.5. And the debate for me is, are the moments that I enjoyed enough to salvage a point or is the fact that this is a miss as a total project mean I subtract something <laughs> so I'm just gonna stay at no, 2.5 your rubric yeah yeah I no well, we're talking about it, I'm like there are some scenes that are pretty and there are some scenes mm-hmm. that kind of work but as that reviewer brought up do I just like them because they're music videos and do I not right. like them because it's a film so I'll stay at 2.5 I, I didn't hate watching this thing I just it just kind of right disappointed me look at us dave we are totally aligned i am also giving it a 2.5 so i mean we've only talked about four films so far this year dave so that is going in at our number three position currently all right that'll get pushed down as we watch more films this Some year big for ones sure, coming. yeah yeah talk about that let me push this button here and let's see what we're watching next week Oh, you know, we talked about the uh, Academy Awards last week. Looks like we're going to go into our run of the Best Picture nominees starting Sweet. next week. What's first? So we are watching the movie Missing. Missing. Okay. Good. Yeah. Never heard of it. <laughs> I don't I don't know anything about this movie, although we did talk about how this uh, won the Palme d'Or, I believe it can, oh, okay. that year. So it okay. co-won with the, the, that other movie. So we'll see. See what we think about it. All right, let's uh, let's get on with it. I, I want to watch some. 
want to watch some bangers. I want to watch some bangers, <laughs> as they say, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, where else, Dave, can you go in this city but, like, play some Pac-Man and then go get a root canal? It makes so much sense. We do eat a lot of... Can't, nerds aren't a thing yet. Bu- bubble gum? What, what do people eat? Taffy? Is that is still the age of taffy? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Candy <laughs> corn? Be like Cracker Jacks as I like go to the... <laughs> go downtown to the mall. What do people eat in the 80s? We have to Google that. I'm trying to get my girlfriend to do analog, but she's too nervous to do it.